you know, a lot of those really high performers in, in the NASDAQ that Chris mentioned are cornerstones of the quality methodology. So we are capturing these as part of our defensive growth call as well. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Intel. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. With companies starting to announce their second quarter earnings, a fragile market confidence hangs in the balance. Will optimism remain through the second half of the year? Or should you begin to pre-position the portfolio for a bear market? In this episode, you'll hear Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney discuss a range of different scenarios and strategies to make the best of these unique times. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Race. I'm the head of product for BMO GAN Canada, covering mutual funds and ETFs. We are joined today by two members of our ETF portfolio management desk, Chris McKaney and Chris Heeks, both responsible for equity portfolios, derivative strategies, and of course, highly active across the entire suite of BMO ETFs. So thank you both Chris and Chris for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Morning. Let's get right into things. We're starting to come into earnings season. Now we've got some U.S. banks coming in already this week, having announced their earnings. What are your expectations for earnings across the market? There's certainly been a lot of warnings come out around the potential drop in Q2, but it seems like the markets just continue to price in optimism. Do you think that will hold through this volatile earnings season? And as well, we've discussed banks as a trade idea on a couple of our previous calls. How does that look now that we are starting to get some clarity into Q2? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Mark. So, yeah, I think banks are a good sector to look at to get you know a sense of what's happening in, in the overall economy. Obviously, banks are kind of integrated into all aspects of the economy and kind of can tap into what's happening at the grassroots level. So earlier this week, we had J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo come in. Goldman Sachs just came in today. You know, overall, what's happened is, you know, Wells, you know, if we're going to start with the good, bad, and the ugly, the ugly is certainly Wells Fargo uh, took their first quarterly loss since 2008, um, had a higher provision for soured loans than expected, and, and cut their dividends. So Wells Fargo is is not a good performer in the space. On the other side, you know, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup took sizable loan loss provisions, but on the other hand, they had record trading levels, trading revenues, you know, through that Q2. So. That helped buffer probably the uh, called the retail or commercial lending side of their businesses. So those ones are looking pretty good from that point of view. You know, I think the overall the, the tone of the commentary coming from the banks and perhaps in contrast to the tone of the White House is that it, you know, it's not a V-shaped recovery right now. You know, you can see that with the high you know loan loss provisions. They are moving out their estimates of kind of the rebuilding of the labor market. You know, so that estimation of kind of getting back to full employment, you know, it seems to be moving out to the end of next year. So they're really warning of, you know, that this is going to be a prolonged recovery. 
And, you know, so, so certain sectors obviously contributing more than others, but, but energy weakness there, weakness in commercial, uh, real estate. So the banks are noticing the challenges. So, you know, overall, what I take from that is I think it speaks to the overall defensive growth positioning. Um, is solid. And to your point, Mark, perhaps the market is in some areas a little bit ahead of itself. Uh, certainly, we're at, we're at near-term highs. But I think, again, it can, can dial us back to our, you know, our overall defensive growth positioning into quality and some low ball as well. If we are to take these banks CEOs at their word, you know, looks like, you know, be prepared for, you know, prolonged recovery. Um, Jamie Dimon went as far to say, we're not really seeing the problems right now because of the stimulus, but he thinks, you know, there, there are certain challenges that are going to be faced down the road. So it was a little bit sobering, not catastrophic. You know, I'd also stress that, no pun intended, but the stress tests were conducted a couple of weeks ago by the Bank of Bank of New York Fed. And overall found the banking sector to be reasonably well capitalized, um, even in, in relatively dire scenarios. So we think, still think the sector is, you know, overall a good one. Likely it's going to take, you know, longer perhaps to recover than than other sectors. You know, ZDK, our, our bank ETF, still at a 4.2% yield. And we've got the covered calls at WK as well that can also generate yield very effectively from the volatility in the space. These are still good satellites, um, but but it's, you know, be prepared. It's going to take take a little while to get there. You know, an alternative way to get that bank's exposure would be to use the ZDY or ZUD or dividend ETFs. Because the yield has increased, the, the financials are now the largest sector in those uh, U.S. dividend ETFs. So that's another way to get exposure to the trade, which I still think is a good one. But but obviously, it's you know to value trade, and, and value trades are, are likely to take you know longer, perhaps, to materialize. Um, but overall, I think it's it's you know it's, a, it's an affirmation of our you know overall defensive growth positioning, and and you know we we still do like the cyclical value kind of trade of the banks, but you know we think it's going to take some time to play out. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate those insights. Now, we've talked about defensive growth. On, on the other hand, we continue to see NASDAQ 100 continuing to set new highs. Well, certainly there's been a bit of a stumble this week with California perhaps scaling back on reopening. Does this trade have depth across constituents, or is it just dominated by a few of those mega cap tech names? We're certainly being asked almost on a daily basis. How can we see, you know, new highs when the economic restart continues to stumble? So, so how do you pair that back together? Thanks. Sure. And there is, um, yeah, there's a couple of questions in there. So I think the first thing you need to do when you're, when you're looking at NASDAQ performance is remember how that index is made up. It's very concentrated at the top. You have four stocks, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and Microsoft that make up about 40% of that index. So on average, those names are about 10% each in the index. And so whether the NASDAQ's going up or down, it's likely that those four names are, are, are at the root of it. And certainly we have seen all four of those names perform very well, um, some more than others, but um, you know, certainly Amazon, Apple doing very, very well recently. In terms of how you can pair that with what Chris was talking about just in previously, how this is going to be a slow, long recovery. Well, you know, a lot of these names are actually designed to work well in this current environment. You know, technology-oriented companies, people around the globe, not just in North America, relying on technology more now than ever um, since we're, you know, 
going out less, moving around less. We're using that technology to connect to whether it's um, companies we're buying from, people that we're talking to, whatever the case may be, um, relying on these services more so than ever. So it is a very concentrated index, and those four names have contributed a significant portion um, to the total return. But also, when you look at technology as a, as a sector, that entire sector is really performing well. Taking a look at how the NASDAQ is split up, just on a sector basis, just under 50% of it is uh, classified as information technology. And notably, only two of those four companies I mentioned are actually classified as technology companies. So Amazon, Consumer Discretionary, and uh, Google or Alphabet is a communication services company. So it's only Microsoft and Apple that are, that are pure technology out of those four. Um, you certainly could make the case that the others are technology companies, but uh, in terms of how they're classified, about half the NASDAQ is classified as information technology, and really almost all the companies in the NASDAQ that are classified as such are doing very well this year. A lot of them are just you know smaller weights uh, within the index, but you know companies like Nvidia, for example, also doing very, very well. And so that whole sector broadly um, has performed very strongly. The other sectors in the index, communication services, as I mentioned, um, includes uh, Google and, and companies like Facebook. You certainly do see good uh, performance out of some of those stocks and uh, other ones like Electronic Arts, you know, the gaming company. So they're doing very well also, but it is a bit more of a mixed bag within that sector. And then the third sector that is prominent in the NASDAQ is the consumer discretionary. Again, the Amazon is the big one there. Um, also a bit of a mixed bag, as you would expect from discretionary stocks, you know, some performing well, Lululemon, for example, but some just not performing as well. You know, booking is an example here. Just people aren't traveling, obviously. And so there is, again, a bit of a mixed bag within those sectors. Uh, but underneath the technology sector itself, very, very broadly, we're seeing strong performance out of most of those companies. And so, again, it is a, a, a bit of a mixed uh, answer to your question there is that it is a, a focused index dominated by those top few companies that are going to drive the performance in any one day. But again, broadly within that technology sector itself, we are still seeing broad performance uh, from, from most of those companies, again, because they are actually capitalizing on the current environment and are doing very well because of it. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. Appreciate the insights because certainly people note the returns on the NASDAQ, the index levels. We continue to get a bunch of questions coming in on that one. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Now let's turn another way and come back to Canada. Uh, let's talk about the low volatility. Because, of course, since we launched ZLB, our low vol ETF back in 2011, it's been a consistent outperformer versus the Canadian market almost a victim of its own success. How has Loval performed this year? And what really has driven that performance versus the market? Because I think some would have expected a bit more 
protection in a down market, but obviously it really depends on the recovery of, of what's driving the Canadian marketplace. And as well, now that you've just completed the rebalance, how has the portfolio changed and how does that affect this uh, ETF going forward? Thank you. For sure. Thanks, Mark. And then just a quick reminder before you know, talk Canada that uh, you know a lot of those really high performers in, in the NASDAQ that Chris mentioned are cornerstones of the quality methodology. So we are capturing these as, as part of our defensive growth call as well. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Intel, no, no Amazon in the quality, uh, unfortunately, but uh, getting a lot of exposure there just to, just to reiterate that point. So back to Canada, it's been a quite an interesting year and a, and a very challenging year, quite honestly, from an attribution point of view. So year-to-date, uh, ZLP is down 8%, and the index, uh, the TFX Composite, is down 5 Now, what we're all used to with ZLB, the, our low-volatility ETF, is you know, usually a quite significant outperformance in down markets. But there's you know a few things going on under the hood of the Canadian market that they're challenging, not just for ZLB, but for a lot of funds out there. You know, and first and foremost is, you know, staying on that technology theme, uh, Shopify. So, you know, again, given Canada's, you know, a more concentrated market, um, in some ways, you know, single stocks can, can really move the needle. And Shopify has been that stock this year. Um, it's up in excess of 150% this year. To contrast that to the minus 5% on the index, it's now the largest company in the index, uh, surpassing Royal Bank. So Shopify alone is actually, is, is alone responsible for half of the positive returns um, I just read on yesterday in the market. So, you know, as an attribution point, certainly technology is, you know, it's a good theme, but, you know, Shopify alone, you know, if you look at that performance differential of ZLB versus the index is about uh, 4% performance swing just from not owning Shopify in Bovall. And again, Shopify is, you know, it's an IT company. It's a higher beta company. It doesn't really fit the, you know, the objectives of our low volatility strategy. So again, just by not owning that, that was a 4% performance swing. Uh, a couple other things going on in the, in the, in the fund and the index. Uh, gold has been in the, kind of another big theme. Bullion obviously has rallied quite a bit this year. And, and we think, you know, the case for gold is, is likely still higher with the amount of stimulus in the world. And gold equities have, you know, tend to have leverage to that gold price. So they've performed uh, even better. So our ZGD ETF, Equal Weight Global Gold, is up, I believe, about 50% this year, if not 50, 50, 60% this year. So really strong year. Again, you know, we do have one gold royalty company in ZLB, but it's not, you know, we do not have that same index level into gold. So that's a bit of a drag as well, not to the same extent as Shopify. So there's a couple kind of, I would call them almost niche areas you know, in terms of Shopify and gold, that, that kind of led to the outperformance. You know, on the positive side for Mobile, we're still getting a big kick out of our underweight of energy. So, and, you know, our underweight of energy and our selection within energy is about a 4% positive driver for the fund. REITs would be the one other kind of negative to touch on. You know, REITs have, you know, underperformed the index by quite a bit this year. I think we've talked about it a bit on the call. You know, I think it's, it's another one of those constructive value plays to have REITs. My view is that we recover those residential REITs and retail REITs, um, some of which have suffered quite a bit. You know, I think that business comes back. I think people still want to shop in stores eventually when, uh, you know, when this virus is contained. And uh, so I think that will come back. You know, I have some questions about office REITs, whether that sector will fully recover. 
but I think the bulk of the, of the weed exposure will recover. So it's caused some underperformance this year, but I think sets up for, for better returns going forward. You know, other than that, you know, the, the typical low ball exposures like utilities and consumer staples are doing are doing pretty well now as they should. And so, you know, overall, I think the portfolio is in, in good position. You know, it changed relatively, um, you know, the changes in June for the semi-annual rebalance were relatively minor, you know, which indicates we, you know, for the most part, we have the portfolio that we want. We just simply don't play in the Shopify game, at least not when its beta is close to two. Um, perhaps over time, its beta will uh, reduce. But at this point, it's, it's not really a fit for the fund. Gold betas are actually fairly low, so it's possible the gold weighting could increase. But, you know, so I think in Canada, it's been, it's been a bit of an unusual year, you know, really led by Shopify. And, you know, perhaps, you know, as a, as a final proof point of that is, you know, even though ZLB has lagged the index, we're still a second quartile fund. And, you know, it really shows you that, you know, unless you're holding Shopify and the majority of, of, of managers aren't, you know, it's been difficult to really keep pace with the index returns. So uh, overall, I think the portfolio is still um, in really solid shape. You know, I don't expect Shopify to kind of duplicate history and, you know, double again over the next year. So I think, you know, the low volatility strategy, it's, it's a long-term one. It's kind of, tried and tested and you know i'm pretty confident that it's going to deliver going forward and you know pretty much it's doing what it should be it's just you know doesn't have shopify and that's you know really playing a big role this year great thanks for that chris and i think it's very important when people look at performance you know you can't just take the top level line you need to understand with the with the parent index what's really driving returns and if you're deliberately investing in a strategy which is avoiding the higher volatility names, you need to understand that that gap, which will appear from time to time. So appreciate that update. Now, lately we've touched on EM and, and China as well. Clearly the outsized returns in China this year are, are drawing a lot of investor attention. Maybe you can give us some comments. What is the China weight in EM and how has that evolved over the past few years? And as well, what is your outlook then going forward considering that these returns have, have already been captured. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mark. And I was, I was just pulling up the China returns because, uh, you know, they were they were up 10% on the year, but now now we've moved another leg up in the past couple of weeks. We're up 20% on the year. So, you know, it's a return that, you know, if anything can rival the NASDAQ, if you had, you know, the only other area, you know, really you could find in the world is actually Chinese equities. So, yeah, we, we talked about it last week and uh yeah we wanted to run some numbers and you know some pretty amazing numbers actually so if you go back 10 years china was 12 percent in the index uh five years ago it was 25 percent and today china is now at 41 percent of the index of of zdm of the msci emerging markets index so it's been a you know it's, a, it's an amazing rally. Some of that has been the inclusion of A shares, which are now uh, partially included into the index. Uh, but still, there's been you know major capital growth in Chinese equities. You know, I think the way you think about you know EM is you know this ten years ago you know it was really more of an energy and materials. It was more of a resource based exposure, and, and part of the thought you know that I've heard that was. You know, Canadians didn't need emerging markets exposure because, you know, Canada already had your exposure to energy and resources um, that we're known for. So there was, you know, a highly correlated exposure to Canada. 
you know, part of this kind of evolution of, of China's growth, and probably if you just took a picture of like Shanghai, and if you've ever looked at those pictures of what it looked like 30 years ago versus today, it's just beyond, you know, it's beyond imagination. But it, you know, it's that rise of, again, that technology, rise of financials, uh, rise of consumer stocks. You know, I think the whole emerging markets thesis is, is about that growth, you know, building out economies, growing the middle class, you know, all, those, all these things that, that have happened here, but are just happening in emerging markets at a much faster pace. Uh, I think just thanks to the pace of innovation that we have these days. So, you know, and then, you know, put a couple more numbers on the sector side, you know, just again, crew points to that resource, you know, how it's changed. Energy and materials 10 years ago were, were 30% of the index. Today, they're about 12% of the index. You know, again, technology has grown as a weight. Uh, consumer stocks have grown from 12% to 30%. So I think uh, emerging markets does offer a lot to Canadian investors now, more so than it did in the past. You know, I think, you know, we're, we're discussing this, you know, just as Trump signed a bill, you know, taking away special privileges from Hong Kong. So there's no shortage of tensions right now between the U.S. and China. But but ultimately, you know, I, I like to think about the region kind of trying to extrapolate out, you know, kind of more short-term political noise. And I think on a longer-term outlook, you know, it's just very, very strong there. And I think, you know, the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak. I think this growth continues in the region and, you know, is, you know, has, has room to ride for sure. So uh, ZEM or Emerging Market ETF is a great way to play it. You know, and if you look at ZEM now versus Canada or versus EC and versus the U.S., obviously U.S. has been the leader the last few years, but ZEM is right in a solid number two spot at this point, you know, um, better than Canada and better than, better than EC by, by quite a margin as well. So, I think it's something investors should look at and part of a diversified portfolio, you know, part of if there is ever a rotation away from U.S. equities, you know, eventually you would think they have to give up some of their strength um, on a relative basis. I think I think ZEM emerging markets is, is an area where it can likely go. So, I, you know, I, I like ZEM, you know, it's got it's got a China focus and it also has South Korea and Taiwan. So there's you know, there, there is a lot of exposure to Asia. You know, I, I think it's highly complementary now to, you know, typical Canadian portfolios. Um, you know, it's a low-cost ETF, and it's very, very well diversified, you know, between different names. So, you know, I think it's a very interesting trade, and we are we are seeing, you know, dollar flows really starting to gravitate into the trade, you know, over the last few months. You know, as people see, you know, I think certainly how China has, and, and Korea, for that matter, Taiwan, how they've made, how they've... Um, manage the COVID outbreak, you know, I think that's given investors confidence. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting area to look at for, for at least some of your portfolio. Thanks, Chris. I, I really appreciate that. And and I think that 10-year perspective of how the index has really evolved is, a, is an interesting point for us all to, to think about where our parents' emerging markets or our, our emerging markets from 10, 15, 20 years ago is, is certainly not you're investing in now. So at this point, uh, just watching the time, I do want to check if there are questions on the line for Chris and Chris. Yeah, hi, it's Christian here. This question, uh, it's for Chris. I just wanted to know with oil at its highest level since March and potential production cuts in OPEC, what are your thoughts on ZEO and oil and gas companies? Thank you. 
Sure. So, you know, obviously, uh, as you mentioned, we've, we've seen a rebound in oil prices. Um, that market seems to have stabilized at least somewhat in the equities still down relative to, you know, the recent highs of, of you know, earlier this year or, or, or late last year. But I, I think really the, the key to the oil price and, you know, you, you mentioned OPEC production cuts, that's obviously on the supply side, um, you know, just trying to control the supply in order to, to keep prices up. I think really where oil will benefit long term is, is from the demand side. Um, and certainly with people traveling less, whether that's through planes or boats or even cars, you know, the demand for oil just isn't there right now that where it was, you know, six months to a year ago. So the extent to which the, the economies continue to open up, mobility continues to increase, I think that's really what's going to drive the oil price over the long term. You know, production cuts are more of a short-term solution to stabilize the market. But if you're looking long-term, you really have to believe that over time, we're going to get back to where we were in terms of mobility, in terms of travel, um, and things like that. So, you know, for investors that are just looking at that now, you know, not necessarily uh, already holding uh, oil companies or or ZEO in particular, it's actually quite an attractive place to, to be. ZEO has a a dividend yield almost at 6% right now. And so the concept of getting paid while you wait, um, again, this is sort of a longer-term thesis that we think might play out. You know, 6% dividend yield while you're waiting for those stocks to rebound is is not a bad place to park some of your money. Again, you know, if you're just getting into that trade now, you don't really need that mobility and that travel to get back to where it used to be. You just need it to go up from here. And certainly, I think, uh, most of us probably believe that right now mobility is at its lows. You know, we've been talking about how long this you know, rebound might take and this economic growth might take in order to get back to where we were. And so it is a longer term story that'll play out over a couple of years. But we, we do certainly think that right now we're kind of at those lows uh, in terms of mobility and travel and demand for oil and gas. You know, it doesn't help, of course, as well on the natural gas side that it's summer season. You know, it's kind of a low point for natural gas anyway. But as you move into winter, um, that demand for gas comes back. And then slowly over time, as people sort of revert back to maybe not maybe not the previous normal, but they start to travel a bit more, a bit more comfortable in terms of even just driving around and local travel, um, that demand for oil and gas starts to come back and will support some of these stocks. So I, I think, um, you know, we're kind of at the lows. Certainly, if there's another outbreak and another shutdown, that could present some near-term volatility and could, you know, depress that oil price again. And so you do have to look at this, I think, on a longer-term basis and, again, collect that dividend yield while you wait for that to play out. Hey, guys, Alexi here. Uh, quick question. We, we've seen some volatility in the market recently, especially in the past couple of days with rising cases in the U.S., and then we get the, the vaccine news. So with, with this volatility here to stay, what are your thoughts on ETF products in general? I think there's a couple of ways to answer that question. You know, one, one thing I like about the volatility is, you know, the application to our cover call strategy is that it's, you know, and it goes back to, you know, kind of the warnings of the bank CEOs we talked about off the top. It, it does look like volatility you know, it's here to stay and, and kind of compared to pre-COVID levels, we're at about double the volatility and in some cases even higher 
So I think it, it does create an attractive opportunity. As McKamey says, it's the idea of getting paid while you wait, you know, nowhere does that apply more to a strategy than cover calls that allow you to really get paid while you wait. You know, I mentioned the U.S. banks, you know, as we wait for that trade to, to turn around, the, the covered call, I think, gives you a really, you know, the, the volatility on banks is, is very high in the U.S. So, you know, the ability to generate income is huge. You know, another, another one I'd highlight, perhaps not on the radar as much as our relatively new ZWG, which is simply our global high dividend cover call ETF. And again, it's, you know, we just launched it in January, but had, you know, had very solid performance relative to, you know, dividend strategies around the world and, and continues to pay, you know, a high distribution yield, I believe close to 7%. So getting paid while you wait with the volatility is good. Now, if you're, if you're talking about ETF trading, I think that we always caution investors to, you know, be careful with ETF because, you know, when you're trading, you want to make sure you use limit orders, um, don't use market orders, and don't advocate to use even stop loss orders. You know, always take that extra care and precaution to use limit orders. And, and we do have resources available to help you with the trading of those ETFs. So you just have to get in touch with us and we can we can help um, if there's any challenges there. I do think ETF liquidity overall this year, even, even in the most trying times of March, provided a window and an access point to liquidity. Um, you just have to make sure you're taking the proper precautions when you're doing that because, you know, I, I do think ETFs are, are a power tool for sure when it comes to getting in, into investments. So um, I'm not sure if that was part of the question, but uh, just thought I'd throw that out there as well. No, that was great. Thanks, Ed. Good morning. BMO NASDAQ 100 equity ETF, ZQQ, ZNQ. With the current position of the Canadian dollar and U.S. dollar, should I be buying the hedged or the unhedged as we look further into 2020 here? Thank you. It's a good question. We, we've talked a lot about currency hedging in the last few weeks. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to, to determine where the FX rates are right now. You know, there's no strong impetus for the Canadian dollar to move relative to the U.S. dollar one way or the other to a strong degree. You know, we saw pre-COVID, um, you know, levels around the Canadian dollar kind of trading sideways between 130, 134, so to speak, uh, relative to the U.S. dollar. Certainly with um, the equity market sell-off in March and that flight to safety, the U.S. dollar rallies in those scenarios, the FX rate spikes accordingly. But that's come back down now to about a 135 level, so a little bit higher than where it was. You know, pre-COVID, but but still in kind of that equilibrium state. So I think part of it might depend on your outlook in, in the near future. You know, if you are a bit more cautious and want that safe haven sort of cushion, you might want that U.S. dollar exposure in case there is another sell-off, in case there is, um, you know, that economic slowdown continues and, and maybe there's a bit more flights of safety. Um, that U.S. dollar exposure does give you a bit of a cushion. You know, on the other hand, on the longer term, you know, with monetary stimulus being what it is, um, you know, there's there's broad expectations that the U.S. dollar declines in value over over the long term, so over a long period of time. And so you're kind of looking at two different things here, short term versus long term. Now, what we've been telling investors recently is maybe you want to do a 50-50 approach. You know, maybe you want to just do a half hedge, half unhedge, and that kind of gives you the best of both worlds. Um, and then when you when we do see a movement one way or the other, if it does start to move to the extreme bands uh, outside of where it's been trading, 
can alter your portfolio accordingly when that happens. But we do see it kind of right now at an equilibrium state, no strong impetus for it to move one way or the other. Now, just um, one other note on that is we do have the Bank of Canada um, today. Uh, so it might make sense to just wait and see what uh, the Bank of Canada is thinking with the new governor there, what sort of forward guidance we get out of the Bank of Canada, and that might move the currency a little bit one way or the other or might kind of inform our opinion. So maybe just take a wait and see on that and see what uh, Bank of Canada comes back with. Thank you. All right. Just noting the time, I think that's probably all the time we'll have for questions today. So I'd like to thank everyone once again for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate you listening in and really great to have the back and forth uh, with the questions here as well. So thanks for that. Of course, thank you to Chris McKaney and Chris Heeks for joining us today. We appreciate all your insightful comments, uh, really getting under the hood of some of these ETF strategies and as well your your views on markets and ETF flows all very informative. So thanks a lot for that. And with that, uh, we'd like to once again uh, thank everyone for joining. Wish everyone a great day. Stay safe, be well, and thanks a lot. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard a valuable earnings update on the U.S. financials, which serve as a bellwether for the broader economy. We also heard about ZNQ, a handy way to add a large cap technology exposure to your client portfolios, and the impressive return profile of ZEM, BMO's Emerging Markets ETF. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.